Please take your Bible, and we're going to resume a little study that we're just calling Giving. And last week, we introduced it, and we had this theme of the heart. And we said that if you want to know what is in your heart, you can track the way you spend God's resources. Today, we want to build on that, and we want to talk about ownership. And there's many different parables that we could draw from, but I've chosen one that I don't think I've ever preached about, and it's found in Luke chapter 19. Look with me, beginning at verse 11, and we will read this parable together. How about just out of respect for the Word of God that we would stand and we would... uh, We would read this. Would you stand with me? This is God's word. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know that he had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, but because you are a severe man, you take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words. You wicked servant, you knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money into a bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. He said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given, but the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Our Father, today as we just stand and we hear your word read to us, we're just reminded that we need truth. We need insight from your word. Thank you for speaking to us, preserving your word here. Now as we begin to go through this passage, emphasizing this theme of how you are the owner of everything I pray that that truth would settle into our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You could be seated. Thank you. 
A distraught man fiercely rode his horse up to John Wesley, shouting, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, something terrible has happened. Your house has burned to the ground. Weighing the news for a moment, Wesley replied, No, the Lord's house has burned to the ground. That means one less responsibility for me. Where would such a sentence or response come from? According to Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, it sprang from life's most basic reality, that God is the owner of all things, and we are simply his managers or his stewards. We just read this parable. Now what I'd like to do is take a few moments And now let's just review this parable before we respond to the parable. We've read it. Now let's just review it, work through it verse by verse. In verse 11 it says, As they heard these things. Now what were these things that they had just heard? According to the first ten verses of this chapter in Luke, this was the story of how Jesus had come into contact with this man named Zacchaeus. How Zacchaeus had turned from his sins and became a follower of Jesus. And you remember what Zacchaeus did? He, he invited a whole bunch of his lost friends. And in verse 9 it says, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also was a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now as they heard these things... He proceeded to tell a parable in verse 11 because he was near to Jerusalem. The opening verses of this chapter would tell us they were in Jericho, which was about 11 miles from Jerusalem. And if you know the context here, Jesus is going into Jerusalem to be crucified, to be raised from the dead, and then to be ascended into heaven. The next part of verse 11 says, And because... They supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, preached about the kingdom of God. And as he was about ready to experience this triumphal entry, many people in the crowd that day, later in this chapter, assumed that Jesus would now become the government king. But this parable would be told to say, no, the, king's not, the kingdom is not, not right now. I'm going to ascend, and then I'm going to come back at a later time. So in verse 12, it says, He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. In this parable, Jesus is the nobleman. After his resurrection, he ascends into heaven, he experiences this kingdom, but this nobleman or Jesus himself will return. Verse 13 says, calling ten of his servants, this word servants is the word doulos, which is one that is a slave, that is actually owned by the master or the nobleman. He gave them ten Minas. What is a mina? According to a little note in my Bible, that's three months' wages. Now, do a, a quick internet search of the average salary for a Wisconsin resident. Divide that by 12. 
multiply that by three, that's about $12,500. That's what this nobleman has led to these servants. And it says, he said to them, engage in business until I come. He had given to them his own property, $12,500, and he gives them very clear instructions. This is not for you. This money is to be worked. Engage in business until I come. Verse 14 tells us, But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. Midway through Luke 19, they'll be celebrating that Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. But you know the rest of the story. Later that week, recorded in the Gospel of John, they are saying, We have no king but Caesar. We don't want this Jesus to rule over us. And then verse 15 says, When he returned... In this parable, it is speaking of a time in which Jesus will return. We currently live between verses 14 and 15. Verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Once again, there are ten servants Each of these servants have given the equivalent of about $12,500. Verse 16. The first came before him saying, Lord, great word, master, ruler of everything that I possess. Lord, your, wasn't mine, your money, your mina, your $12,500 has made 10 minas more. That's a thousand percent increase. That 12,500 you gave me is now turned into $125,000. You'll notice here in verse 16 that this servant or this slave takes no credit at all for the increase. In fact, he attributes it to the money that he received. He says, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. Verse 17, And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. You, you will notice the reward for this hard work is not rest, but it's actually more work. More responsibility. Verse 18. And the second came saying, Lord, there it again, master, owner of everything that I possess, your mina, your $12,500 has made five minas, or $62,500. Now you'll notice the response is slightly different. Because with the person that produced the ten minas, He got to hear, well done, good servant. What this second servant hears is, and you are to be over five cities, verse 19. And we see the reward is in proportion 
with what they have done with the nobleman's resources. And it is fair, isn't it? If you do the math, that's about right. Making ten more minas results in ten cities that he oversees. Making five more minas results in five cities that they oversee. Verse 20. Then another came, another servant. We've talked about this before, that in the Greek language, there's actually two Greek words for the word another. There is another that means of the same kind. You're out at your favorite burger place, and you've been starving all day, and they bring out your favorite cheeseburger, and it was so good that you say, I want another. I want another of the exact same kind. But there is another word in the Greek language for the word another, and it's of a different kind. It's to be at that restaurant, and they bring out that juicy cheeseburger, and you bite into it, and blood squirts from it. And you say, I I don't want another of this. I want a different. In fact, give me a steak. I I don't even want this cheeseburger. Give me another entree, a different kind. In verse 20, when it says, then another came. It is to speak of a servant of a different kind. These other two servants took these instructions from the noblemen and were very serious about them. But this third servant seems to be indifferent. It says here, Then another came, verse 20, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you. Because you are a severe man. I was afraid, I think, that if I took it, what happens if I lose some money? Or what happens if I lose that money? Am I going to be responsible to replace that money? And he says this. For I was afraid because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. He is accusing the nobleman of taking money that he never deposited or or reaping of what he did not sow. He is accusing his boss, his master, of being a thief. Verse 22, he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from the man. Take it from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. The master did not need the money. But he had given the same amount to the man who had earned the ten minas. That man was trustworthy. What he was looking for was some trustworthy people that he could give his possessions to. And when he found out that this person was just going to put it in a handkerchief and hide it, he said, well, what good is it to give it to that person? It's my money anyway. I'll take it from him and give it to a trustworthy servant. 
Verse 25, and they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. 26, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. We have a little expression, either use it or what? Lose it. But as for these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and, and slaughter them before me. Those who want to reject me and my rule, they will experience the divine judgment and wrath. Now there's a reading of the parable. There's a review of the parable. Let's just conclude our time by responding to the parable. Here's the one theme that I want us to get today. In all caps, and all bold print, God owns all. God owns all. We see that again in verse 13. The nobleman calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. These were not minas or cash that they had accumulated on their own, but all 100% of it was given to them by the master. There is a theme that runs throughout the scriptures that's important for us to understand that God owns all. In fact, we don't often do this, but I want to do kind of a little Bible drill with you this morning. We're going to walk through several of these passages. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Look with me at Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23. There in the law, it's recorded in Leviticus chapter 5, 25, verse 23. It says, the land shall not be in, in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. God is saying to the people, that land is mine. Look, the next book to your right is the book of Deuteronomy. Look what it says in, in chapter 10, verse 14. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14 says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Do you see it? Everything belongs to God. Now, there could be someone this morning saying to themselves, Wait a minute. I work hard. You have no idea how much effort is required of me at my workplace. That's my money. I work for that. And I would ask you this. Who is it that has given you the, the oxygen to breathe? Who is it that has given you the lungs, the eyes, the ears? Who is it that's given you the strength and the ability? Who is it that's given you that business to begin with? It is all God. I'd spend my summers during the college years up in St. Germain working on a camp. And I remember working with a chef for those three summers. Her name was Fleur. And she would say this. 
You can mess with my hours. You can mess with my kitchen equipment, my bowls and my blenders. But don't mess with my money. But what we see from the scriptures is it's not our money. It's God's money. Look with me at another passage here. In First Chronicles, go to the right, a couple of books. Get through the Kings and First and Second Kings, and you'll see in First Chronicles, chapter 29, verses 11 and 12. This is David's prayer. He says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Listen to this. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Look at verse 12. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. What do we have that we have not been given? Turn with me to Job. A little bit further in the right. Before the book of Psalms in Job chapter 41. Look at what it says in verse 11. This is what God is speaking. Job 41 verse 11 says, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. And then consider with me the book of Psalms. Just to the right, Psalm 24. Verses 1 and 2. Great to hear those pages turning this morning. Psalm 24, 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Look with me at Psalm verse chapter 50. Psalm 50. You see another thread of this. In Psalm 50, verse 10 and 11. It says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. And I know all the birds of the hills, all that moves in the field is mine. You hear that? Even our pets, even the fish that we go after, the the wildlife we go after, all of that belongs to God. We could look at Haggai chapter 2. Verse 8, where it says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. But there's one other passage I'd like you to look at, and it's found in the New Testament. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because this is really important for you to see this. Not only does God own the land, not only does he own the, the sea and all the animals and all the silver and gold or all the possessions, But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, we see that he actually owns us, our bodies. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Listen to this. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I want you to see this theme throughout the scriptures that God owns 
all. That's not only that he owns the possessions that you are managing right now. Listen to me, church family. He owns you and your body. Allow this to settle in a bit. He not only created you, but he purchased you. So that truth will lead us to, I'll just lay out four different truths here. The first is this. If you have been under the impression that you are the owner, then it is time to transfer the ownership back to God. I wonder if you've ever done this. Have you come to the realization that you don't own anything? That God owns it all, including you. And it would be wise for you, armed with the truths that we've seen throughout the beginning pages of Scripture that runs throughout, for you to deliberately transfer the ownership back to God. To be able to say, this is not my life. This is your life. Anything that is accomplished within this life, I want to give glory to you. This is not my body. This is your body. I want to be a good steward of this. This is not my family. These are not my children. These are not my grandchildren. These are your children, your grandchildren. I'm only here temporarily to be managing or stewarding them. These are not my relationships. These are not my co-workers or my neighbors. They are yours. They belong to you. How would you have me to speak to them and, and treat them? This is not my job. This is not my place of business. My name might be on the deed or the title, but it's not really mine. It's yours. The same could be said with our house, with our cars, with our boats, with our UTVs. Ultimately, they don't belong to me. They belong, all of that, to you. And that changes things, loved ones. When you realize that you don't own anything, but you're merely renting or you're managing that God owns it all. I remember a time when I had a pickup truck. Those of you who have pickup trucks, you probably have this problem. Everyone would ask you, hey, can I use your truck to haul this or haul that? And, and that would happen to me from time to time. And I remember someone asking me, can I, can I use your truck so I can help someone out by hauling something? And I remember saying, and it just rolled on my tongue, you know, it's really not my truck. It is God's truck, and I think God would be pleased to use his truck for something like that. Secondly, if all belongs to God, then he has the right to tell us what to do with his possessions. Amen? If you look again at verse 13 of this passage, as the nobleman goes out, it says there, engage in business. Until I come. Oh, does anyone have a pencil? No? Thank you. I wanted to use a pencil for an illustration here. Thanks, Noah, for your pencil. (laughs) Now, where was I? Um, Now, what was your response to that? Is there something within you that says that that was not right? What if I told you that during our greeting time, I gave him my pencil, and I said, during the sermon, I'm going to ask for this. 
Would that change the way you view that? Why? Because it's my pencil and I can do with it what I want, right? And it's God's house, it's God's car, it's God's body, it's God's family. And God can do with those things what He desires. The nobleman takes the mina away from the wicked slave and gives it to the faithful slave. And you might say, well, that doesn't seem fair. He's just taken $12,500 from this guy. But I remind you, whose money was that to begin with? It was the nobleman, right? He can do with it what he wants. Now, last week, we learned that money and possessions in and of themselves are not evil or sinful. In fact, one of the ways that God blesses us is with money and possessions. But this parable today teaches us that yes, God is gracious to allow us to enjoy them, but we are not to keep them only for ourselves. But we are to manage them wisely. We're just simply the mailman. As we were driving through the blizzard the other day, I was reminded of my dad, who was a mail carrier for many, many years. And he drove on these rural routes And he had these war stories of driving in weather just like that, putting chains on his tires. I wonder what it would have been like if you would have ordered something for Christmas this year, perhaps a widescreen TV, and your mailman decided that was his. And he mounted it on his TV, and he watched a lot of football over the holidays thanks to you. But that wasn't his TV. You had ordered that for yourself. He was just supposed to be a delivery person for that. Perhaps you ordered something like a KitchenAid, and you were going to make some Christmas cookies with it. But your mailman said, you know, my wife could use something like that, and, I, and we're, we're just going to hold that. That's, that's going to be our property. And if you've noticed, your mailman's put a couple of pounds on since the last time you've seen him. Thanks to your... KitchenAid. Sometimes God just uses us as a conduit. He's given to us stuff that is never meant for us to keep, but to be a channel to be able to bless others. When we look at this passage, we see that there are two different responses. There's two servants that took these words from the nobleman very seriously. He is coming back and he doesn't lie. So we need to be working with the resources that God has given to us. And then there was another servant that is just indifferent. He doesn't do anything with it. I don't know if you've had this experience with children, but come Christmas time, what we've done over the years is we've given to our boys some money. And we say to them, this is not your money. You are to buy something that will bless your brother. Don't keep any of this back for yourself. Be a channel to buy something that will be a blessing to them. So the second point here is if all belongs to God, then he has the right to tell us what to do with his possessions. And God's possessions are to be used to spread the gospel and to help those in need. You see, it's not enough just for us to transfer ownership. You know what? Everything that is in my possession is actually yours. The second step of that is to be able to say, what would you have me to do with these possessions? And the third point of this 
is if all belongs to God and we are his managers, then there will be a day when we will give an account. You see, the nobleman was not offering a suggestion, but a command. In verse 15 it says, when he returned. The Bible speaks that Jesus will return. The Bible speaks about two different judgments. There's a great white throne judgment in Revelation 20. This is the final judgment for those who have denied Jesus, and they will be thrown into a lake of fire. But there's a second judgment that the Bible speaks about. It's a judgment of the, the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat. This is not a judgment for lost people, but for those who have had their forgiveness, the sins forgiven by Jesus by putting their faith in what he has done on the cross, by turning from their sins and they've been born again. This second judgment is not a judgment over whether you're saved or not, whether you're going to be punished for your sins or not. That's already been resolved by the gospel that you have received. But this other judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, will be a time when our works will be inspected. When the question will be asked, what did you do with what I gave you? It's interesting, this bima, this bima seat, this Greek word for bima, was a, was a raised platform during a time of competition, of athletics, where a judge would, would look over the playing field and he would make sure that people were following the rules and then at the end would award the victor. Think of a tennis match where there is a, a judge that, that stands over, makes sure the, the serve is in, and then at the end would award the winner. So we are assured that if everything belongs to God, that he has a right to tell us what to do with it, that there will come a day when we will give an account with what we did, with what God gave to us. There's a Canadian missionary by the name of Jonathan Goforth, a wonderful last name for a missionary. He gave a beautiful illustration of what every believer wants to hear someday. He said when he was 15 years old, his dad, who was a farmer, said, I'm going to entrust you with the farm down the road. And this summer, what I want you to do is work that field diligently. And at harvest time, I'm going to come down. I'm going to inspect on how you did this growing season. In later years, go forth stirred many an audience as he told of his labors that summer, of his father's return in the fall, and how his heart was thrilled when his father, after inspecting the fields of the beautiful wavering grain, turned to him and smiled. He would say, that smile was all the reward I wanted. I knew my father was pleased. So will it be, dear Christians, if we are faithful to the trust of our Heavenly Father that He has given to us. His smile of approval will be our blessed reward. And then finally, the parable of the ten minas is not only about money and possessions, but also the gospel. When you look here again at this passage in verse 11, you see that He is on His way to Jerusalem to be crucified. He'd be raised to life. He would ascend that's the whole theme of this, and that one day he will come again. But the dead giveaway here is when he returns in verse 15 and verse 16, when the first servant comes, he says, the first came before him saying, Lord, 
Your mina has made ten minas more. When you went away, you gave us these instructions that we were to entrust what you had given to us. And it seems very similar to the gospel. You've given to us this great commission that we're going to make disciples of all nations. Now, all we did was we took that gospel and we presented it. And you know what happened? That gospel was so powerful that there was a multiplication that took place. We saw that here in the ten mina man as well as the five mina man. We are responsible. So here's the question. Have you received the king? Have you received Jesus, the nobleman? In verse 27, it says that these enemies, they didn't want him to rule over them. Have you come to a place where you say to Jesus, all that I have is yours. The land, the possessions, my life is yours. You know, you have the freedom to reject that if you would like. But I would urge you not to. Give him your life. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Place your trust in what Jesus has done. What freedom there is in signing the deed of your life over to Him and allowing Him to rule your life. Today, we're going to end this message, I think, in a unique way. We have an application here. At the beginning of this message, um, we had an offering. At the end of this message, we're going to have another offering. The first offering is one in which you put money in the plate. The second offering is going to be one in which you take money out of a plate. There is going to be a stack of envelopes in the offering plate that's going to be passed in front of you. It could be either white or brown, but it doesn't matter. We just ran out of one color, so we had to get the other. And on this envelope, it says, God's property. And there's either a 5, 10, 20, 50, or a $100 bill in that envelope. And here's your responsibility, is to take that envelope and remind, be reminded that it's not your money. It's not for you to spend on yourself. But to pray, God, this is your money. What would you want me to do with your money this week? Here's the wonderful thing about this exercise. Is that there are people that you know and have relationship with that don't even know their name. And God has inserted you in their lives, perhaps for this time. Perhaps you know of someone that lost their job and is going through a real difficulty Maybe someone that has some medical challenges. And as you pray, it's like God puts them on your heart and says, why don't you take that money and be a blessing to that person? It could be that you get a $5 in your envelope and God has put it on your heart. You've seen a homeless person on the road for some time and you've thought to yourself, man, I'd really love to just sit down with that person and, and buy him a meal. And then pray with them. Share Jesus with them. And $5 is not going to do it these days. So maybe the Lord would have you to add to that in order to purchase that meal. Parents, 
this is something where I'm going to let you decide what you would like to do with the children. If you would like all of your children to receive one of these envelopes, that's wonderful. You may choose to let them decide individually what to do. I heard of a family that once pooled their money together. And they used that money, maybe added a little bit to it, and made little packets to give to people that were homeless. I heard of a small group once that, that had an exercise like this, and, and they got together, and, and one of them says, you know, I really have a burden for such and such a family. And I'd like to put my money towards this. And the other said, we'd like to do that too. And listen to this. They actually built a house. Now, they had to add a little bit to that, all right? But can you think of the joy that would have come through this little exercise? So here's the assignment as our ushers get ready here in a moment, Eli. Is that as the plate is passed, just reach in and grab an envelope. Over the next day or two, pray about how God would have you to use that envelope, the money that's contained, if God would have you add to it. And if you look there in the envelope, it says, how did God lead you to use this money? Please email response to the church email address with the subject heading, God's Property. This isn't the first time our church has done this. Around 20, 25 years ago, I remember us doing this. And I had a friend that was from out of town that was going through a marriage that was really challenged and stressed. And I just sensed the Lord would have me to go down and visit with him and buy him, buy him lunch and to talk to him about the Lord. And it's a little exercise like this that was used to kind of stimulate that conversation. Now, why would we do something like this? You see, this little exercise can be a laboratory for you to realize that this is God's money, but actually everything you own is God's, including the paycheck that you just draw this last week or the week before. That is God's money. And for you to pray, God, what would you have me to do with your money? If you can do it during this little exercise, maybe the Lord would give you some more and more familiarity with what it is like to do it on a regular basis. So would you pray with me as our ushers are positioned and we will distribute these here in a moment. Father, we thank you for the blessings that, this, that you've given to us. And now, whether a church member or whether a guest, may they receive your property. And like the servants that yielded a thousand percent or a 500 increase, may we take this exercise seriously. And may we feel the weight of holding your money. And may we receive the joy of being able to distribute it to the person, the ministry, whether local or globally, that you would have us to give to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.